Welcome to the markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here with you. Dateline Chicago, Friday, March 13th. And it's our weekly get-together to look at the market activity. I will tell you at the outset, I have been doing market reports for nearly a half century on radio and television, and I frankly do not recall a market week such as we have had this week. And then how we ended the week. So let's begin with today. Wall Street staging a furious rally in the waning moments of the session after President Trump declared a national emergency to combat the rapidly spreading coronavirus. Although major averages still suffered some sharp losses for the week. In a volatile session today, all three main indices jumped more than 6% in early trading before cutting to a gain of as little as a half percent on the S&P 500, before rallying toward the close as President Trump made the announcement with industry leaders of about $50 billion in federal aid to fight the disease. One analyst said the initial take, he started talking about $50 billion, the market asked, Where is that going? But as he's been bringing these various leaders to the front and they have been talking about what they are doing, that's really what the market is responding to in the late trade. The indices were still about 20% below record highs hit in mid-February, and each did see declines of at least 8% for the week. Since hitting the highs, markets have been besieged with big swings, nearly matching as many days with declines of at least 1% as all of 2019. Today's surge, the biggest one-day percentage gain for the S&P 500 since October 28th of 2008. And the Democratic-led House of Representatives will pass a coronavirus economic aid package. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made that statement, but still unclear whether President Trump and his fellow Republicans would support it. So for the day, the Dow Industrial Average up 1,985 points, 9 and a third percent, ending the day and the week at 23,185. The S&P 500 gained 230 points, or 9 and a quarter percent, to close at 2711. And the NASDAQ composite added 673 points, or 9 and a third percent, to end the trading session at 78.74. All the main S&P 500 sub-indices were trading higher with financial markets, and oil also looked set to end the week with a silver lining, and we'll look at that in just a moment or two. But... The section taking the biggest hammering this week, travel stocks. At the end of the day, they were trading a little higher, but hotel operators, Marriott International, Hilton Worldwide Holdings, and Hyatt Hotels all gained at least 1%. 
Boeing Company jumped 9, well, make it 10%, but suffered its biggest weekly drop in its history on rising concerns about the company's growing cash burned. Apple Incorporated up 12% among the top boosts to the benchmark S&P 500 and the blue-chip Dow as the iPhone maker said it would reopen all 42 of its branded stores in China. So that's just a quick summary of an unbelievable day and week on Wall Street. And uh, while we mostly had to talk about the coronavirus impact and lower price markets, the U.S. dollar posted the largest daily gain versus the yen since April of 2013. And oil prices today posted their biggest week of losses since the 2008 global financial crisis rocked by the coronavirus outbreak, and then efforts by top exporters Saudi Arabia and its allies to flood the market with record levels of supply. That rare combination of severe shocks to both supply and demand has caused the crude market to collapse as producers around the world steal themselves for an unexpected glut of oil in coming weeks. It's a problem of an oil price war in the middle of a constricting market when the walls are closing in, according to U.S. energy historian Daniel Jurgen. The coronavirus sparked panic selling across markets for the bulk of the week. That virus has infected at least 138,000 people worldwide and killed more than 5,000 knowing what that's done to business, markets, the travel industry, and also to daily life. Major oil producers were pumping more crude into the market as the demand was collapsing. Saudi Arabia has chartered more than 30 crude supertankers to export oil in coming weeks, specifically targeting big refiners of Russian oil in Europe and Asia in its escalation of its fight with Moscow for market share. Goldman Sachs said it now expected a record oil surplus of 6 million barrels per day by April in a global market that usually consumes about 100 million barrels per day. Today, prices were higher, rebounding after the U.S. and other nations signaled plans to support weakening economies, but Brent crude dropped 25% on the week. That's the biggest weekly decline since the 2008 global financial crisis. Today, Brent rose 43 cents to settle at $33.85 a barrel. U.S. crude... Futures fell about 23% on the week. That's their biggest percentage decline since 2008. U.S. crude did rise 23 cents to settle at $31.73 a barrel. Yes, what a week in all the markets. And again, you couldn't talk markets without mentioning the word coronavirus. So what do we watch for next week? 
Well, I hope it's not more of the same next week because the uh, week ahead on Monday, the New York Fed's business index is expected to show a reading of 3 in March following a reading of 12.90 in February. And then for the rest of the week on Tuesday, the Federal Open Market Committee is scheduled to begin its two-day meeting on interest rate policy. The Fed expected to cut its target rate by another 75 to 100 basis points. The central bank also may announce measures to ensure sufficient liquidity and lending or to purchase assets by restarting the quantitative easing that it employed during the financial crisis. Expectations for a more significant rate cut have increased this week as the market decline deepened over fears of, yeah, you guessed it, coronavirus. Next Tuesday, retail sales in February likely to show a two two-tenths of a percent growth after rising three-tenths of a percent in January. Due on the same day, industrial production expected to show a four-tenths of a percent rise in February. Capacity utilization expected to have risen 77 percent in February after rising 76.8 percent in January. Also expected on Tuesday, business inventories likely slipped a tenth of a percent in January. The Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, or JOLTS, for January is expected on Tuesday. Job Openings, a measure of labor demand, decreased to 6.4 million in December. Also expected on Wednesday, housing starts in February that likely dropped to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1,502,000 units in January. Scheduled for release on Thursday, of course, the initial jobless claims for the week ended March 7th, and uh, it's likely to have risen to 215,000. That would be a gain of 4,000 for the week ended March 7. Package delivery company FedEx Corporation scheduled to report third quarter results on Tuesday. And Cheerios cereal maker General Mills on Wednesday expected to post a marginal increase in quarterly net sales, likely driven by higher sales of its pet foods. Profit, however, expected to decline. Accenture is scheduled to report second quarter results on Thursday. Luxury jeweler Tiffany & Company expected to post an increase in fourth quarter profit, likely driven by sales growth in the Americas, still its biggest market. Net sales, however, expected to decline, hit by weak performance in Hong Kong, which is a key market. And on Canada's economic lineup next week, uh, manufacturing sales, consumer prices index, and retail sales data will be in focus. So there will be enough to keep an eye on in the week ahead. But again, all eyes will be on the continued reaction to the president's uh, discussion on economic health for the industries that are hit the hardest by the coronavirus situation.
The uh, Fed on, uh, well, today launched a wave of $37 billion of Treasury security purchases under the enhanced market liquidity measures it it announced on Thursday to address volatile conditions in the government bond market caused, you know what, by the coronavirus outbreak. Well, has agriculture been left untouched by all of this activity? No, it really hasn't. And uh, I'll be back to talk with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial about the impact, particularly on the cattle and hog market, when we continue on the markets. Orion here. And if you are looking to increase your profit per acre, and who isn't these days, then I urge you to check out Flora. F-L-U-R-A has cultivated premium genetic hemp strains from a company of innovators, farmers, and researchers that deliver the highest quality seeds and the infrastructure you need to support your farming operation. Call Jeffrey at 312-206-1860. Check out Flora.com. Well, welcome back to Dennis Smith. Haven't seen you for a while, Dennis. Thank you. Archer Financial Services. Have you ever seen market activity like we're seeing? No, Orion, I've been around. My first event was the Black Monday stock market crash of 1987, and uh, that market action is nothing compared to what we're experiencing in this day and age. So, no, I've never seen or experienced, as I say, there's, the, there's no playbook right now. So how much of that is spilling into agricultural trade? Oh, very much so, especially the cattle market. To a lesser extent, the hog market, it's impacting the grain market, virtually every commodity market, of course, now including crude oil market. The cattle market is taking this situation extremely hard uh, with a sharp downward spiraling move. And is that because consumer buying is probably not what it should be? The expectations are that consumer buying will will drop off. It hasn't happened yet. Wholesale beef prices continue to hold despite or in the face of continued large, in fact, record large beef production. It's all an expectations thing. It's all a fear factor situation. So various parts of the country were in the calving season. Is it going well from what you hear? I think it's going well. I think it's far better than, say, a year ago. So, yeah, I think the calving season is moving along uh, just fine. Smaller numbers, though, we're going to have a reduced calf crop compared to previous years. Will that ultimately lead to higher consumer prices? Uh, ultimately, but that will take some time. We're expecting beef production to peak in the second quarter and then start declining in the third quarter of this year. And what about the export market? Is that holding? So far, in fact, exports are hot right now. Beef exports in January up 3% and record large for the month of January. Pork exports moving off the charts, and that's going to continue in 2020. Still waiting for more China buying of pork? We are, and I think it's coming, and I think it'll continue to increase. The question is, does that acceleration in exports exceed the expanding production? Dennis, you mentioned you were expecting to see consumer 
consumer purchasing step down. We're expecting to see maybe visits to restaurants slow down. We're not seeing it yet, and yet the volatility is happening today for folks, particularly cattle feeders with cattle in the yards. How do they protect themselves against the whiplash that's happening in this market? Well, it's as far as protecting, it's too late on this move. It's simply too late. I would not assume a position in the market. We have been advising non-marginable positions in the market, in other words, using put options to protect additional downside, because when this market bottoms and comes up out of here, it's going to be fast and furious. So as far as protecting, the key is to not panic and do not assume a marginable position in the market at this point in time. Now, you mentioned when this thing bottoms and begins a rebound, I think that's something everybody, particularly in the beef and pork markets, is waiting for. What's it going to take? Do we just need an equity rebound, maybe sparked by some Fed stimulus, or do we need a coronavirus cure to really get this thing to bounce back? I think the virus is going to come and go, and I think it's going to get in our rearview mirror quicker than what everybody realizes. It took about two months in China. I suspect, my own opinion, it'll be about half that long to to run its course in the U.S., and then we begin a real impressive recovery in prices. Well, we are waiting for that recovery in prices. What's your price, your top line target when that recovery comes on live cattle this summer? This summer, it's hard to say. We're down to 113 now. Probably a 110 market is actually where we've traded. But we could go way above 120 as we springboard this market back up this summer. Let's change our focus over to hogs. We've seen pork sell off just as much and then buy back just as much as cattle has. But in fact, it's not nearly been as volatile. What's been the underlying factors in the lean hog market? We're starting to see some competition develop at the packer level for cash hogs. That's been a pleasant surprise. We've basically been holding steady in the cash in the face of all of this volatility and in the face of continued large hog numbers. Hog slaughter's been running 6% larger than a year ago, pretty much since uh, about the middle of January. Now we're starting to see the cash market firm up. Exports are beginning to ramp up to China as well as our other customers. And I think we're about to see numbers begin to drop off. Unfortunately, weights are still heavy. If we could get numbers and weights to drop off, I think you'd see a really impressive move in hog prices. So cash is staying strong. Numbers are starting to come down already, or you anticipate that very shortly? We're anticipating that. Uh, we saw a first blemish in the in the slaughter this week where one of the kills was down about uh, 10,000 head, lower than expected. So I think we're getting to the point where numbers will start dropping off. And on the weight side of things, how much heavier have we been running these hogs over a year ago? Uh, roughly uh, one pound to two pounds, and then it will be about even. So we're just slightly over a year ago, but that's a pretty heavy hog. We need to see weights come down. You know, one of the things we've seen over the past three years in the hog industry in particular, and of course it's showing up in the slaughter numbers, incredible expansion across the Midwest. Is that coming to an end? Is this volatility going to make it stop? I wish I could say yes, but we have no real feel for that as, as to if the expansion is ending. It's been an aggressive expansion carrying on now for several years. It would be nice to see expansion flatten out. We keep talking about more exports to China, but if we don't get them, where else do we go with our pork? 
Well, we still have a, a traditional customers now that we have a new trade agreement in place with Mexico and Canada. Mexico is our largest buyer of hams and you, traditionally our second largest buyer. We have a trade agreement in place with Japan. Tariffs uh, between us and Japan go down April 1st as a result of this trade agreement. And we are expanding pork exports to, to Latin America, Central America, and even Australia, New Zealand. Are we seeing some of those big hog barns in Iowa shut down, or are they coming back? Everybody's uh, still in place. And in fact, there's talk of built barns still being built in Iowa. So uh, for what we know, the expansion is still in place. A lot of optimism toward increasing pork exports. Any final market advice for hog producers? At this point, uh, prepare to sell a rally, especially for fourth quarter. Because of the expansion, there could be a problem with capacity, slaughter capacity being challenged in the fourth quarter. That's my advice. Always a pleasure to visit with Dennis Smith, Archer Financial Services here on The Markets. Orion here, and if you are looking to increase your profit per acre, and who isn't these days, then I urge you to check out Flora. F-L-U-R-A has cultivated premium genetic hemp strains from a company of innovators, farmers, and researchers that deliver the highest quality seeds and the infrastructure you need to support your farming operation. Call Jeffrey at 312-206. 1864. Check out flora.com. So was agriculture left out of the coronavirus discussion this week? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, we saw a couple of events that were canceled because of the coronavirus. The Houston Livestock Show was cut short by about half the number of days it normally runs. And then the Texas Southwestern Cattle Association annual meeting, that's one of the bigger cattle conventions outside of the National Cattlemen's Beef uh, Association, also canceled and will not be held this year again because of coronavirus. But what about the other agricultural stories? Well, the grain market. Today, wheat futures closed fractionally higher. Corn ended flat, stabilizing as wider financial markets regained some ground after plummeting on fears of the economic fallout. But soybean futures today fell, hitting life of contract lows as crop weather in South America improved. And that, again, bolstered expectations of large harvest for soybeans in South America. So the uh, numbers today at the Chicago Board of Trade look like this. March wheat ending the day and the week at $5.14 and three quarter cents, a gain of just three quarter cents a bushel. March corn, on the other hand, was up three cents a bushel ending the day and the week at 370 and three quarters. But March soybeans down 12 cents ending the week at $8.72 a bushel. So we're now below that $9 mark per bushel on soybeans. And uh, some of the factors that went into it. Argentina's Buenos Aires Grains Exchange 
Thursday lowered its estimate of the country's 2019-20 soybean crop to 52 million tons. That's down from 54.5 million previously, citing hot and dry weather. But beneficial rains have since fallen in parts of Argentina's crop belt, and outlooks called for more in the next week. Don Roos, president of Iowa-based U.S. Commodities, said there were question marks on their crop, but then the forecast is wet, so that aids the dry conditions in South America and will probably lead to a little more competition for the grain trade here in the United States because of that increase in production. Now, you heard uh, Dennis Smith talk about the lean hog and cattle futures. My golly, there were how many daily down-limit moves in hogs and in cattle. Traders are considering that more widespread testing for the coronavirus might uncover infections among workers at meat packing plants. Slaughterhouses are already grappling with a tight labor supply. And uh, Don Roos said maybe one of those people has a problem and maybe that helps cause a shutdown of a packing plant. The North American Meat Institute said it was not aware of any disruptions in the industry other than travel restrictions for employees. The uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange April lean hog contract ended the day and the week down the $4.50 limit, $71.30 a hundredweight. April live cattle were down the $4.50 daily limit, ending the week at $95.57 a hundredweight. And the uh, April feeder cattle contract down $6.37 a hundredweight. And uh, that left the uh, April cattle priced at $112.60. So a challenging day for market traders. And, of course, the announcement that the Chicago Mercantile Exchange will be shutting down its trading floor. It did, as of today, at the closing. And some traders I've talked to have said this could very well be the end of pit trading. It'll all be done by the computer. It'll all be done by the Internet. And there are some traders who say already the population on the trading floor has dropped sharply. But we wonder if the Merck will reopen those trading floors after the crisis on coronavirus goes away. Difficult to know. And uh, uh, if it does shut down the trading floors forever, It would be a a disappointment to a lot of people, including yours truly, because I so much enjoyed going down to the trading floor for the grain market at the Board of Trade for livestock futures at the Mercantile Exchange in past years and watching the hand-waving and the shouting and at times the fistfights over traders who wanted to make sure that they got recognized with their bid or offer before somebody else in the pit. 
And uh, the other thing I miss is the characters on the trading floor and those trading pits at the board and the Merc. There used to be an abundance of characters who not only traded and did business, but had fun doing it. And I'm afraid those days are kind of gone. Um, Probably a bright spot this week for Australia, because Australia now uh, is still dealing with drought, but apparently uh, the drought after three years of devastation could be coming to an end. And uh, an agricultural analyst group now updated drought loss estimates and they put soybean losses at 32.3%. And uh, who knows where those numbers will go, depending on the weather for the rest of the crop year. Meanwhile, we uh, did have a videotape of a farmer in central Illinois who was planting some corn this past week. That's, I think, well, he said a lot earlier than we thought we'd be planting, but uh, it's dried out enough that they were able to get uh, one field of soybeans in the ground. So most other farmers across the Midwest are still waiting for the crop season to begin, and uh, with the arrival of spring officially, uh, they're waiting to see how long it'll take to get rolling. But uh, I've talked to several producers in various parts of the country this week, and uh, all of them have said it's itchy time. That means they're itching to get out there and do more than fix equipment. They're getting out there to get ready to start that equipment at work. So let's hope it's a little quieter week than next week. But again, we thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll be back next week on The Markets. 